I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. While many of the pundits have written off the Democrats' chances in November, they actually might have a really good chance to make some serious inroads in, even more important, arguably, those local races, including governor's races, uh, which I think are are real crucial. Jonathan Martin, national political correspondent for The New York Times, uh, joins us on the line. Great piece today talking about in races for governors, Democrats do see a silver lining out there. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back on, boys. Uh, so let's dive into this. As, uh, as you look at some of these races, again, most people are focused on the balance of power in Congress, what sure. happens there. But these local races really matter, especially the governor's races. And there there is some silver lining out there for the Democrats. Yeah, there's a couple of things happening this year in the races for governor across the country. I think one is in some of these Republican primaries, uh, candidates have emerged uh, most of them backed by Donald Trump, who don't have a lot of money now after the primary, and who also, um, you know, could have a hard time appealing to the broad swath uh, of the electorate, um, uh, especially against uh, incumbent or at least well-financed uh, Democrats. The other thing is, I think more voters recognize that policy is being decided at the state level, particularly after. Uh, the Roe versus Wade uh, opinion, or I should say the, the Dobbs opinion overturning Roe versus Wade, of course, for throwing the question of abortion rights back to the individual states, I think has put a, a, a spotlight on state politics we've not necessarily uh, seen in past midterm elections. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that you're watching? What are some of those states in particular where whether it's a Republican yeah. misstep or a weak candidate or a bad yeah. fundraising challenges, sure. uh, what are some of those yeah. places you're watching? Well, I mean, the most obvious ones where you had very popular, moderate Republican governors, Maryland and Massachusetts, two very blue states, which you had uh, popular Republicans who were moderates who had no regard for President Trump, and he had no regard for them. And uh, he, he basically got some vengeance by uh, effectively uh, threatening a primary against Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, which prompted Baker not to seek a third term. And Larry Hogan down in Maryland was term limited, uh, but Trump took the side of the very far right candidate in the GOP primary to succeed uh, Hogan, and sort of all but ensuring that, that that in that blue state the Republicans won't be competitive. And perhaps most importantly, uh, you know, the, the state of Pennsylvania, which is so critical in the presidential map, uh, the Republicans nominated Doug Mastriano, a state legislator 
who is, um, you know, very far right views, was involved in President Trump's effort to overturn the election and, you know, is being you know, dramatically outraised by the Democrat Josh Shapiro in that race. Uh, and then I'll, I'll just mention two others here that we're also watching closely because of their relation to the presidential map. Uh, and that's Michigan and Wisconsin, two states where you've got incumbent Democratic governors, Gretchen Whitmer and, and, and Tony Evers. Um, it's not clear yet who the Republican nominee is going to be in those two states. But in both cases, the Democratic governors have been stockpiling a ton of money uh, in preparation for those primaries to, to end. Uh, that's uh, that's fascinating stuff. One of the things that we've been watching uh, is uh, kind of comparing these states. That There is this hunger and, as you mentioned, uh, the drive – Coming out of some of the Supreme Court rulings that are, is really saying, hey, local local is going to matter more in, in a lot of these issues. Uh, it's interesting of, of the states that are functioning really well or having that good economic and, and good growth. Uh, a lot of those Republican governors are doing well. Is there a formula there for Republicans to say, look, the top the top performing states are, are led by Republicans uh, versus some of the challenges in some of those blue states? Yeah, and look, I think that that's a, a strong case for incumbent Republicans to make is the health uh, of their economy. I think you're going to hear them make that case uh, uh, in a lot of states, the sort, of, sort of big red states like Texas, for example, Georgia. Uh, comes to mind where you've got incumbent Republican governors uh, facing uh, challengers. Uh, um, and I, I think we'll hear that quite a bit. I spoke to, to Utah's governor, Spencer Cox, uh, about the landscape. And, you know, he, he's pretty candid about the internal divisions that are still plaguing his party. Uh, but he also feels, you know, some optimism that the, the glass is half full, especially when you consider the overall political environment that Republicans are enjoying this year. Their side is more motivated. And he points out that the party's gained with Hispanic voters especially could be pivotal in a handful of western states like new mexico and nevada where you've got incumbent democratic governors who are facing you know really uh competitive re-elections uh in part because of that that realignment of the hispanic vote and so as you as you kind of look at it obviously we've got a a number of uh, primaries today Uh, how is that going to shape the landscape uh, as we head towards november well, there's a bunch of interesting primaries. I'll, I'll start. I'll start nearby uh, in Arizona. Uh, Arizona is going to have the uh, gubernatorial and Senate primaries take place today for the Republican Party. Uh, and I think the gubernatorial especially we're watching closely because you've got the incumbent governor there, Doug Ducey, who's term limited, who's joined arms with uh, Mike Pence, uh, an ally of his to endorse Karen Taylor Robeson, who's kind of the mainstream traditional conservative in the race against Carrie Lake, who's gotten a lot of notoriety as a former local TV anchor who got the Trump endorsement some time ago and is running a more of a sort of far-right Trumpian campaign. That's become a proxy war between Trump and Pence, the former president and VP that we're watching closely. I also just, I think, would point out a ballot measure in Kansas 
pretty conservative state uh, about abortion rights, sort of the first referendum on the issue that we've seen since Roe was overturned. And I think that's going to be a lot closer than people may expect, uh, given Kansas's conservative leanings. And then I'll just uh, wrap with, with Michigan, where you've got the Republican primary for governor taking place. They're going to uh, nominate a candidate to run against uh, Governor Whitmer that we're watching that closely to tonight. All right. Uh, anything off radar uh, from those big things? Any of those subplots? Uh, those are the things that always get me really interested in terms of, oh, here's an interesting one that might might yeah. become a spark for the fall. Well, in Arizona, it's gotten less attention, Boyd, than the, the Gov primary. But the Senate primary there, I think, is going to produce this fellow Blake Masters, who's not uh, – been a candidate before, who's gotten uh, a nice financial ride from Peter Thiel, the tech billionaire, is probably going to be the nominee. And I'll tell you, uh, he's no fan of Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader. And if you have him on the ballot with J.D. Vance in Ohio and Dr. Oz in uh, Pennsylvania, Herschel Walker in Georgia, it's some of the most competitive Senate races in the country. You're going to have candidates that Mitch McConnell was not terribly thrilled about, that, that President Trump basically pushed through uh, the primary to varying degrees, uh, who now are going to face a couple of questions. One is, will you take Mitch McConnell's money uh, for, the, for the balance of the campaign uh, to win your races? And then number two, uh, depending upon that decision, will you support McConnell for leader uh, should you be elected next year? So that's a fun subplot uh, for you taking place tonight, but also in a handful of Senate races around the country this year, Boyd. Yeah, that's always the fascinating thing is uh, with all that uh, Senator McConnell controls from a financial standpoint, uh, who takes it and then who's willing to say, yeah, I'll uh, I'll bite my tongue and, and vote for that <laughs> if I'm elected. Oh, yeah. It, now, it... <laughs> now, he's got a lot of leverage uh, because he controls the purse strings yeah. for a lot of the Senate races. And, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to beat a fellow like Mark Kelly, the, yeah. the Senate Democrat in Arizona, who's sitting on a ton of cash if you don't have a well-financed campaign. So um, it's going to be an interesting moment involving kind of this, this sort of Trump and McConnell proxy war when some of these more Trumpian Senate candidates have to decide uh, where their, their money's coming from for the balance of the campaign this year. Uh, wonderful reporting and uh, strategy and writing, as always. Jonathan Martin, Thank national you. political correspondent for The New York Times. Uh, Jonathan, thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much. And just a real fast plug for my book, What If You Could, Political Junkies in Utah Will Love It. It's called This Will Not Pass, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future on sale now on Amazon or any of your local bookstores. Awesome. This Will Not Pass, great piece. Uh, if you Jonathan's writing it, will get you thinking in some new ways. Uh, check that out today as well. All right, we'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. Much more Inside Sources coming up. Stick around. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. 
Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.